been in this sermon series now for a number of weeks on law and grace. Um, today you will get the penultimate sermon in that series. For those of y'all who don't know what that means, I just looked it up. It means next to last. Um, penultimate just sounds cooler. Um, this is the penultimate ser- sermon in this series. And we've been talking about, first of all, what, what are these things that we call law and grace? What is the law? Um, what is the grace of God? And, and, and when we come to grace, we've thought of a number of definitions. And, and one that's stuck with me, at least, has been this idea of one-way love. And we looked at that recently. Um, you know, how does that work? How do we live that out day in and day out? And so two weeks ago, we talked about it in our family relationships, our marriages, relationships with our children or our parents or our siblings or our cousins. What, what is one-way love? What does grace look like in those relationships? We realized our tendency was to be, what do we say, transactional. Um, I'll love you this way. I expect you to love me that way. And as long as everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, it's all happy and good. But that breaks down very quickly, does it not? But when we talk about grace, it's this idea of one-way love, where I love you regardless. I love you despite what you do to me or for me. This idea of one-way love, and we offer that, and we don't expect anything in return. And the same last week we discussed with, with giving and what we do with our money, but not just our money, but our time and our talents, just how are we stewarding our lives and we realize that it's not um, a duty, or it's not something that, well, we know if we give to God, He's going to bless me. Do you see that? That's law. That's transaction. If I do this, God will do that. That's not how it works. It's grace, one-way love. God showed us that one-way love, and, and our response to that is to show it to others, to give to others. One way, we expect nothing in return. We do it out of the love of God in our hearts. And so we've come to today's topic, um, you can call it whatever you like, but perhaps grace at Bilo or grace at Walmart or grace at the, um, the car service center, which is what I've struggled with recently. Um, what does that look like? What does grace in those situations look like? And if you have your Bibles or a phone or something, maybe you want to open it up to Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. And we're going to look at at this grace to others, um, grace in the world, grace living it out in our daily interactions. We're going to look at it through the lens of this Canaanite woman. And the first thing we need to realize about this story is this a direct contrast to the passages before it. And so at the beginning of chapter 15, the Pharisees, they're upset with Jesus, they're upset with his disciples. They said, look what you're eating. Look at your dirty hands. You're not following the law. You're putting these dirty things into your body. You're making yourself unclean. They're under the law. And what has happened, and what happens to us so often is when we live like that under the law, we, um, we put ourselves in a position of judgment, of one-upmanship, if you will. The Pharisees are sitting there and they're saying, look at us. We're good. We're holy. We're up here. And we can look down on you. And you're down there. And that is so often what the law does to us in our daily interactions, our social interactions. We, we put ourselves up here in a position of superiority and judgment over somebody else. And we, we wiggle our way and do this on purpose. We don't necessarily try to be mean about it, but it's, it's just the little things. Maybe how we dress or, or the car that we drive or the house that we own or the, the latest iPhone that we have. And we can look at somebody and say, I have an iPhone 5. 
Yours is a 4S. You know that's a year old. You see? And it's just something about that that makes us feel better about ourselves at the expense of somebody else. And we all do this. We all do this all the time. I do it. Um, we don't mean to. It's just the, the, the sinful nature of our hearts and this idea that we want to live under the law. So the Pharisees are saying, look at how good we are. Look at how not good you are. And then we come to this passage where Jesus, he's had enough of that. And he goes on vacation, if you will. He, he, just, he has to get out of Judea. He has to get, he gets away from the nation of Israel and he is in a land, a foreign land, um, not too far away, but a, a, a different people, not a Jewish people. In fact, this lady he meets is a Canaanite. The Canaanites were the arch enemies of Israel in the Old Testament. So this isn't simply a non-Jew, this is a, an arch enemy. But she comes up to him. What does she say there in verse um, 22? Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, this interaction is, is fascinating. Um, Jesus doesn't say a word to her. He's quiet. And his disciples come to him and they say, um, send her away. Get her away from us. We're on vacation. You don't need to be bothered by her. Send her away. But it's interesting. We see a little bit of grace, even at the very beginning, Jesus doesn't send her away. He answers her. Verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that God chose a man named Abraham to be the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel. And all of God's promises are passed on through this nation of Israel, even this promise of a Messiah. And here's Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, and he's carrying on in that tradition. He says, I'm sent for Israel. And what he said elsewhere in Matthew is, I'm sent to Israel first, to non-Israelites second. But he's saying this to the lady, I was sent only to the house of Israel. He doesn't send her away, but he says, it's not my time to minister to you. But this woman is amazing. And so she just gives it all up. She comes and she kneels before Jesus. Lord, help me. And we have come now to what I consider one of the most awkward moments in all of Scripture. This lady is begging for help from Jesus. You know, the Jesus that loves us and saves us and died for us. The Jesus that um, carries us around like little sheep. Um, this lady is asking for that Jesus, and he gives her this one. Um, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It is not right for me, an Israelite, to minister to you, a Canaanite, because that is not for you, that is for Israel. I'm not going to minister to the dogs. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, you might have said, well, that word for dogs, you know, if you do a Greek word study on it, you'll see that it really means a children's puppy. It's not a word that we would sometimes use like a mutt or a filthy dog or a stray. It means a child's puppy. So it's an endearing term. Well, what if I called you puppies? My little puppies, I won't minister to you today. Is that, are you endeared or are you turned off by that? So this is, this is not a compliment. But look at this woman. Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus sees this woman. 
and he sees her faithfulness. And he sees her total dependence on God. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So you see what's happened in this story. And this will affect how we, uh, two practical points on how we work grace out in our lives. You see what's happened. This woman who, who had every, Jesus had every um, cultural right to, to downgrade her and upgrade himself because he was a holy Jewish chosen one of God and she was a Canaanite. He has every right to do that in, in terms of his culture, just as the Pharisees have done it, and he refuses. Do you see that? And here's why. That woman is totally dependent on God for her grace, and she knows it. She totally knows it. And she says, even the dogs can gather up the crumbs under the table. How dependent is that? That you're de- depending on God to drop a few crumbs so you can be healed. And, and, and she does depend on that. And she, her daughter does get healed. And so she, in her less than holy Canaanite woman state, knows that, that, that the Pharisees who think they're so great are no better than she is. They're no better. They're no better. It's an even playing field when it comes to grace. And so this one-upmanship that we're engaging in day in and day out, trying to prove ourselves or to convince ourselves that we're somehow better than the person we're talking to, that's just, it's, it it's, does not exist. It does not exist in the eyes of God. We've got to approach grace and approach others and approach this world with those kind of eyes on. That we're no better the guy that you're mad at that just cut you off, you cut him off five minutes earlier. You're no better than he is. We've got to start there. And so, what then does this grace look like? Well, I want to, I want to look at two things about it. Um, and the first one is this. When we, we have that level playing field and we're talking about grace, we see that grace has absolutely no boundaries. There are no boundaries. The 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 Pharisees were all about boundaries. They were setting them up, these walls that divided them from everybody else. And we eat the right way, and we do the right things, and we act the right way, and we we pray the right way. And and we're so holy and perfect and churchy. And you're not. And Jesus comes from that world. He's Jewish. And he blows through that barrier. And he says, my grace has no barrier, no boundaries. None. None. And we've received that, and we believe that, and so how are we going to live that out? How are we going to live a life where, where Jesus' grace has no boundaries? Well, there's, there's two ways I've seen that we've put up boundaries. Um, and one is something like this. We create a Christian ghetto for ourselves. Now, when I say ghetto, I don't, I don't necessarily this time mean a slum, but I mean a ghetto, a people of, of the same sort of subculture, and we just we hang out together, and we do Christian-y things together, and, and we, we, heaven forbid, we get tarnished or tainted by a secular world that doesn't believe in Jesus. And so we do some things, and none of these are bad we all do them. I do them. None of these things are bad unless they become an idol, unless they become an end of themselves where we want to isolate ourselves. And so if we try to isolate ourselves by sending our kids to Christian schools, we try to isolate ourselves by only letting them watch Christian movies and listen to, to Christian music. Now, I'm not saying don't filter these things. I'm just saying don't pretend like you can live in a bubble. Or maybe you just buy um, the Christian video games. you got this really cool Xbox. Okay, 
and there's this really great video game, Rockstar, I don't have an Xbox, but a Rockstar, whatever, where you play a guitar, and you say, well, you, we can't have this game, but you can have the Christian version of this game, where you can listen to Christian music and play Christian guitar chords, all four of them. And that's, that's creating a Christian ghetto. Or you go, to, you go to Chick-fil-A, and that's the only place you ever eat because they have Christian values, and you love their Christian values and, and the way they support the family, and you're all about that until Sunday when you're hungry and you want a chicken sandwich, and they're not open. And we do this. And we, make, we live in this Christian ghetto. We're setting up these barriers, and we've got to stop. Jesus could have stayed there. He could have stayed there in Jerusalem and in Judea, and he could have been a a perfect little Pharisee. He's God. He could have done that. But he left. He went to, to this Canaanite woman, this lowly Canaanite woman. He has no barriers. Another way we do this is um, we, we give in to some social constructs, some things that society tells us are right. And I'm gonna, there's plenty of these, and you can think of them by yourself. Um, one that stuck with me recently is um, this idea that the customer is always right. Have you heard that? The customer is always right, or, you know, um, you are serving me because I'm paying you money to do something. So you are my servant. Um, I'm the customer. I'm always right. And all of a sudden, I, I get to be up here and cast judgment on somebody who's serving me down here, right? That's how that works. It doesn't sound very graceful at all, does it? And so we're going to talk about this story um, a little bit longer, but this happened to me recently at um, an auto repair place. And, and so we had our car repaired, and we, we invested a significant amount of money in this company. Um, you know, they fixed our car, and I drove it away, and about five minutes later, the check engine light came on, and it said, you need a new gas cap. And I said, well, I don't think that's true. <laughs> so I let it go the weekend, and um, it didn't fix itself, so I brought it back. They say, well, you should get a new gas cap. And I, they say, we can, I can run the test, and it'll be 150 bucks, or you can go buy a $30 gas cap and see if that fixes it. So I did that. Did it work? No. Um, so here we are, and I've got another $30 invested in this car that I didn't need to spend. And I'm like, okay, come on. So I go back. And I'm sitting there, and, and so here's, here's the setup. Because I could be like, listen, you guys totally messed this up. You owe me 30 bucks for a new gas cap, and you need to fix my car. And I felt like that. But that's not the grace we're talking about, is it? Because you see that relationship there. I, I'm one-upping myself. I'm one-upping them. What's that going to look like? How is that grace going to play out? Because I put up a boundary now. There's a boundary between me and them, and that boundary says, I'm doing the right thing and you're not. And that's law. Let's see how that plays out. This is the way it should have played out. This is the way it actually did play out, but we'll get to that. Um, so grace has no boundaries. Grace also has no conditions. Grace has no conditions. Read Jesus' response to this woman. We're in verse um, 28. Remember, she is totally dependent on him. And he says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. Most Jewish rabbis, if they even had the nerve to talk to a woman like this, would want her to change, would want to convert her, would want her to become Jewish. And he'd say, yeah, I'll minister to you, but you know, you start eating the right way and doing the right things. And if you're male, if you get circumcised and, and you come on in and you do these right things and set up the right boundaries and you can be a person of God, then I'll minister to you. No. 
There are no conditions on Jesus' grace. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. That's it. Great is your faith. And so we have Jesus, and he's sitting here, and he's putting no conditions on his grace. And that's the way it is. That's on the table. There's not a single condition for anybody in this room to approach Jesus. Not one. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter who you are, who your parents are, what you're going to do tomorrow. None of that matters. Because Jesus' grace is on the table. You just need faith. You just have to believe it. You have to accept it. I'll take some of that. It doesn't matter who you are or what, you're do- what you've done or what you will do because when you receive that grace, your life will be transformed. And there is no condition. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be perfect. And so um, I'm in this, this car place. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what am I going to do? And my, my natural reaction, and this is the one I've learned to, to push down and to ignore and to leave alone, is to get really angry and demand my money back and demand a new, or they repay me for the gas cap and demand that they fix my car. That's what I want to do. And I want to make a scene about it. And I want everybody in that room to know that they made a mistake. I don't do that. Praise God I didn't do that. And so they look at the history and they say, oh, well, the hose that was disconnected, they found the problem, there was a disconnected hose. That hose is really close to some of the work we did. Um, so maybe we disconnected it. Um, we're, gonna, we're not going to charge you for any of this. Um, we fixed it and you could be on your way. They didn't pay me back for the gas cap, but that was okay. Um, so here was my response. And I think a lot of people respond like this. Wow. They have really good customer service, and they really took care of me. And because they did that, um, I'll be nice to them. Do you see that? Do you see that law creeping in there? And still, we're in this position where I'm the customer. They're my servant. They're being nice to me, so I'll be nice to them. Is that Jesus? Is that grace? No, that's a condition. Grace knows no condition. And so I don't know what this would have looked like if I was perfect, but, but it probably would have been something like, I'd be nice to them just because of who they were, just because God made them, just because God created them. I would be graceful and loving towards them, and, and I wouldn't even harbor any resentment in my heart, and I wouldn't even be preaching the sermon because I wouldn't have even thought about any of this stuff. That's grace. One-way love. There's no boundaries on it. There's no conditions on it. You're totally dependent on God when you realize the power of that grace. And so here's what I want to close with. And this is, this is vitally important. You have to hear me on this. If you do not know the grace of Jesus Christ, if you don't know that in your heart, you cannot, you, it is physically impossible to extend it to somebody else. If you don't know it in your heart. And so I don't know why you're here. I don't know your background. Maybe you grew up in a church that, um, that you know, if you memorize all the right Bible verses, you got stars for your crown. And at the end of the day, the guy with the most stars won. And you were like the holiest Christian kid in Sunday school. Maybe that's your background. Maybe you have no experience with the church other than the guy you met on the street corner who said you're going to hell if you don't live a holy life. I'm not sure. I don't know why you're here. But that's not the gospel. 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how holy you are, you still need his death because he's taken your sin and your failings and your shortcomings and he's put them on his own shoulders. I'll pay that price. And he's offering you grace. One-way love. And when you really know that, and when you stop trying to earn it, then that transactional relationship, that one-upmanship saying, okay, Jesus, I've turned to you, now you owe me something, that's gone. And it'll be gone in your relationships by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're going to mess up. I mess up. But that's where it begins. And so if you don't know that, hear me today. It's on the table. That grace, that love is on the table. You just have to believe it and accept it and receive it faithfully. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, there are some folks here who have forgotten that, who have forgotten what it means to be graceful and to receive that grace. I pray, Lord, that their hearts would be awakened. Maybe it's the second time or the third time or the hundredth time, but awaken their hearts, Lord, to receive it. And for those who are here who are just hearing of this, who've never heard this message before, I pray, Lord, that you would awaken their hearts as well, that they would receive that grace for the first time. And may all of us leave here transformed to offer your grace to a world so desperately in need of it. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.